with something God forgets, and we're glad that he does. Here's Pastor Ed Ray. All ground is level at the cross. We just come the same way, broken in humility, and he gives us eternal life. Justified by his grace, declared righteous, he forgets about our sins. When I come to God, I say, you remember that sin back in 19, fill in the blank? God says, no, he has holy amnesia for your sins and mine. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place God will dwell with man. Sit be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. God has holy amnesia when it comes to confess sin because of Jesus and what he did on the cross. Makes us want to sing and avoid some things and rely on his amazing grace. And that's our focus today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We conclude the book of Titus on today's broadcast and chapter three, the closing chapter, emphasizes the mercy of God. It's one of his defining attributes, beginning by defining mercy for us, from verse 5, here's Pastor Ed. According to his mercy, Elios, the self-motivated, spontaneous, loving kindness of God, which causes him to deal in compassion and tender affection with the miserable and distressed, someone said. I like that. Miserable and distressed, I can relate to that. I need mercy. I never say, God, give me justice. <laughs> No, 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 no. Justice is getting what we deserve. What we need is mercy, mercy, mercy. That's why all the rock and roll songs has the word mercy in it. Mercy me. You know, that whole thing is because we all recognize that judgment is not what we need. What I need is God to be merciful towards me and to you. God has been good. God has been kind to me personally. I'm speaking to those of you that have not yet experienced this. How can you be so happy about this thing? Well, it's because God is that way. Listen to Micah 7.18. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. There's a thought. Because he delights in mercy, he will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea, pardoning iniquity, delighting in mercy. God is unique in that he pardons the rebellious the rebellious sins of me and of you. Now, pardoning severe sin is contrary to human thinking. It is not logical to us, but it is if you take apart what this is saying. God is not human, and he delights to extend mercy to those who will humble themselves before him. There's no room at the cross for the arrogant. There's no room for those who are self-sufficient and think they're able to handle life under their own power. That they, and I'm speaking of myself, B.C., 
thinking that they have figured out everything in life and they don't really need a crutch. But the truth is, not only did I need a crutch, I needed two of them. I needed a wheelchair. I needed a gurney. I needed an ambulance. I needed all kinds of help that I was too self-sufficient to recognize. Am I speaking to somebody here? Sorry. Getting a little too close here, Pastor. Back off. Thomas Hooker, the American colonial pastor, when he was dying, other people surrounded his bed, and one of them said, you are going to receive the reward of your labors. And Hooker pulled himself up from his pillow, and he said, no. Thankfully, I'm going to receive mercy. What did he mean? He meant in here and up here, he knew he was still a sinner. Paul said he was the chiefest of sinners. He understood the problems. But he also knew God is merciful. Augustine of Hippo wrote a little book called The Handbook of Faith, Hope, and Love. He said God's mercy goes before the unwilling to make him willing. It follows the willing to make his will effective. That God, when I was unwilling, made me willing to surrender to him. It wasn't because I'm so smart, because I figured it all out. It was him doing a work in me. Why? Because my wife was praying for me. Don't marry a Christian if you want to stay an atheist. She's still praying, God bless her woman has great patience. God goes before the unwilling to make him willing. You see, we all have a black heart. We're born with it. We have a pirate's heart, okay? And you oh, not me, Pastor. Okay, not you guys. You're second service, and you're holier than the rest of the church. I understand. A black heart. So God has to change us to be willing. I'm aware of that so much now that sometimes I pray, Lord, make me willing to be willing. And then If you have to back it up 10 willings, it's okay. Make me willing to be willing to be willing. Change my heart, God. You know how to do that. And then Augustine said, and those who are willing, it follows God's mercy, follows the willing to make his will effective in our lives. We don't get any credit for this thing. God brings us into the kingdom, and then once we're in and willing, his mercy is moving us along the road. When we fall down, he picks us up. When we're ready to fall off the road, he drags us back on. It says he saved us, sozo. Did you notice it's in past tense? In Ephesians, Paul wrote, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Past tense. It was an act. It was a moment when you surrender to God's will. Maybe some haven't done that yet. When you surrender to his will, when you say, God, I give up. I give you my life. When you're looking for significance in your life, when life doesn't make sense to you without God, and you surrender to him, he saves you at that moment. But he will continue to save you, sanctify you along the way, and then when you see him, you'll be like him. He will save us in the future. Again, God did it. Through the washing of regeneration, regeneration only occurs twice in Scripture here and in Matthew 19, 28. The work of God's Spirit coming upon you, my life, no matter how horrible the things that you may have done in the past, God's Spirit will come in and clean you up. That's what he's talking about. It's what 
really brought on the conversation between that famous Jewish teacher named Nicodemus and Jesus. This is in John, the third chapter. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel of what I say. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to Jesus, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel? There's a definite article there, the teacher. We believe that Nicodemus was the main teacher of the law in Israel. Jesus said, Are you the teacher of Israel? and you do not know these things? How is it that you don't understand these things? What was Jesus referring to? This whole concept of the Holy Spirit changing a person. It was prophesied by two prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 36, he said, I will make a new covenant with you. I'll take out your heart of stone. I'll put in a heart of flesh. I'll write my law of love on your heart. I'll put my Holy Spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my ways. Nicodemus knew that, probably taught it, but he didn't make the connection that the new covenant was sitting in front of him, that Jesus Christ, he was talking to God, and he didn't know it. Born again, born anew, God's Spirit makes us new, the renewing of the Spirit literally means entirely new in kind. And Paul wrote to the Corinthians that you are a new creature in Christ. Everything's new. All is gone that was there before. B.B. Warfield, the American pastor, said, We have but one Savior, and that one Savior is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Nothing that we are, nothing that we can do enters in the slightest measure into the ground of our acceptance with Christ. Jesus did it all. We can't take credit for anything. We can't add anything to what he did. Glorious truths about our great God and Savior that we're delving into on today's Grow in Grace, Pastor Ed Ray. Truths that are concentrated in a hymn recorded in Titus chapter 3. Now with verse 6, here's Pastor Ed. When we poured out, on us abundantly through Christ Jesus our Lord. God the Father poured out the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, through God the Son, Jesus Christ, onto you, onto me. He poured it out onto us in stingy measure, abundantly. Not as powerful in the English as it is in the Greek language. Plosius means richly in miraculous amounts, another translation says. He poured out a spirit in such an amount that we can't contain it. It's like grace that we've talked about, this gift from God. Paul wrote Romans 5.17 that he abundantly poured out his grace on us. And it's a larger quantity than you can hold. It's like asking for a glass of water from the waitress and she comes over with the pitcher and she pours your glass full and she's talking to your wife and the water just keeps right on going all over the table, onto your legs. Only God does that on purpose. 
abundantly, more than you can contain, more than you can hold, because He wants to increase your capacity as you grow in Him. Generously, extravagantly, profusely, freely, openly, other synonyms. He's pouring out through Jesus Christ. It comes through Jesus. Can't get away from Jesus in this thing. There's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved. He's the only one. He's the package deal, and then everything's inclusive. You come to Jesus, and you have the love of Jesus. You have the peace of Jesus. You have the joy of Jesus. Verse 7, that having been justified by his grace, again, it does not hit us the way that it does to those who are reading this in the Greek language. Diakeo, the Greek word for justified, means to declare innocent. That having been declared innocent by his grace, a gift that's not deserved, paints you in a corner, doesn't it? Having been declared innocent, declared in right standing before God. What? How can he do that? Because Jesus bore my sin and your sin, every person. The cross is broad enough for every person on the planet, God would, that none would perish, that all would come to repentance. All ground is level at the cross. We just come the same way, broken in humility, and he gives us eternal life. That's what this is saying, justified by his grace. Declared righteous. He forgets about our sins. When I come to God, I say, you remember that sin back in 19? Fill in the blank. God says, no, he has holy amnesia for your sins and mine. Yes, somebody said, thank God. And he changes this. We are now joint heirs. You're in the will. You get written in God's will. You are a child of God now. You are kids of the kingdom. <laughs> you are God's kid. Galatians 4, 7. You are no longer a slave to sin. We sing that song. You're no longer a slave to fear. By what? By his grace. A free gift that I don't deserve. The world has nothing to offer that lasts. I know that. Experienced in my own life. Some people God has to take through ridiculously difficult times and end up a derelict, a drunk, a drug addict, whatever. In my life, God did the opposite. He decides how he's going to do it. But in my life, I, I thought if I could just do this one thing, then I'd be happy. If, if I just, in science, did this thing, and you know what? I was a success at it. But it was just like sand. It was like sawdust. It didn't bring completeness. Now what do you do when the thing you thought would make life meaningful, would bring significance, the goal of your life, and you achieve it at 25 years old? What do you do? You get stuck in despair because <laughs> that didn't do it. So where do you go? Well, eventually, after you hit your head on the wall a dozen times, you got knots all over your forehead, you go to God. Well, I tried everything else. Let's try him. Whoops, he's there. I've been an idiot this whole time as an atheist. I was an atheist for the first 26 years of my life. How stupid can you get? I'm sorry, if you're an atheist here. <laughs> Pastor, tell us what you really think. That's the truth. Verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly. What's a faithful saying? Well, the hymn we just read, verses 4 through 7. 
this ancient song that the early church sang, that the Holy Spirit had put so much truth in. We don't know who wrote it, but we know that Paul embedded it in the Scripture under God's command because all the words were true. I wonder how many of the songs that we sing around here now are, in fact, that truthful. So, he says this is a faithful saying, Logos, that it is faithful in the Word. It matches what the Word says. Paul said that four times. 1 Timothy 1.15, he said, a faithful saying. 1 Timothy 4.8, faithful saying. 2 Timothy 2.11, a faithful saying. And here in Titus 3. So these things are true that the church is singing, he's saying. And those who have believed in God, there's that word again, trusted in God, put your faith in God, relied on God. Those who believe that Jesus Christ, God the Son, died in your place on the cross should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable for men. Well, pastor, isn't that saying the opposite? No, no, no. Once we are saved by grace, through God's mercy, by faith, then the result is God wants us to do good works. Why? So others would see it. Particularly others that knew us before Christ, B.C. And they say, what in the world happened to you? And you get an opportunity to tell them that your and my life might be filled with good works. Give away your faith to others. It becomes others-centered. John Wesley said it this way, Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, in all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Sounds like he says we should keep on doing good things for other people. But where's the payoff, Pastor? No, no, you already got the payoff. You got eternal life. You got saved. God's a debtor to no man. You can't outgive him. He'll take care of that. Verse 9, so those are the things we're supposed to do. Verse 9, here's the things we're supposed to avoid. Foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Don't get in arguments with people about scriptures. No one ever got argued into the kingdom of God. I know a lot of people that are trying. Don't get in disputes about scripture. Let the Holy Spirit do the work. Reject the device of men after the first and second admonition. This is a really strong statement. It is actually the only place in Scripture where the word heretic appears from the Greek language. It is the word divisive. Reject a heretic who continues in his heresy and stumbles other people. That's what this is saying, verse 11. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, they know they're wrong, but they refuse to give in, being self-condemned. The Holy Spirit's already showed them that they're not speaking the truth. They're running from God. And the Greek tense is a perfect tense. It still goes on to this day passive voice, which means there's somebody behind it. Satan is pushing that person. Very rarely happens in the church, but it does happen. Verse 12, and when I send you Artemis or Tychius, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, and for I have decided to spend the winter there. So Titus wasn't permanently in Crete. He was to come when these two men show up. And we don't know who Artemis was. He's not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. And Tychius was on Paul's third missionary journey, Acts 20. Come to me in Nicopolis. Nicopolis was that city I showed you, the city of victory, Nike, Polis, victory city. It was so-called because Caesar Augustus defeated Anthony and Cleopatra there in 
31 BC, so it was a, a victory for the Romans. Paul went there for the winter, and we believe that's where he was arrested, so uh, that's why we think Titus was written before First and Second Timothy, and you can take that and run with it. Grace. All I see is mercy and grace. I want to close with a story. A family who used to come to church here and went back to South Africa sent me a while back, and it's about giving away grace and mercy. Several years ago, a frail black woman rose slowly to her feet in the South African courtroom. Seventy-plus deeply etched years on her face. Facing her across the room were several white ex-police officers. One, Andrew Vanderbroek, had just been found guilty of murdering the woman's son and her husband. The man had come to the woman's home a number of years earlier, had taken her son, shot him at point-blank range, and then burned his body while he and some other officers reveled in the act. Several years later, Vanderbroek had returned to take away her husband as well. For days, she could not learn anything of what had happened to him. But then Vanderbroek came back for the woman herself, and she was led to a place beside a river. There she saw her husband bound and beaten, lying on a pile of wood. The last word she heard from his lips as the officers poured gasoline over his body and set him aflame were, Father, forgive them. She was beaten severely, but lived. And justice finally caught up with Vanderbroek. He had been found guilty, and it was time to determine his sentence. As the woman stood, the presiding judge of the court asked her, What do you want? How should justice be done to this man who has so brutally destroyed your family? The woman replied, I want three things. I want first to be taken to the place where my husband's body was burned, so that I can gather up the dust and give his remains a decent burial. She pauses and then continues. My husband and son were my only family. I want secondly, therefore, for Mr. Vanderbroek to become my son. I would like for him to come twice a month to the ghetto and spend the day with me so that I can pour out on him whatever love I still have remaining within me. And finally, she says, I want a third thing. I would like Mr. Vanderbroek to know that I offer him my forgiveness because Jesus Christ died to forgive. This was also the wish of my husband. And so I would kindly ask someone to come to my side and lead me across the courtroom so that I can take Mr. Vanderbroek in my arms, embrace him, and let him know that he is truly forgiven. As the court assistants led the elderly woman across the courtroom, Andrew Vanderbroek fell over. He had fainted, overwhelmed by what he had just heard. Then quietly, from those in the courtroom, friends, family, neighbors, all victims of similar oppression and injustice from the very same small congregation in the ghetto, began to sing this song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Oh, the amazing grace of God. And it's available to you. 
And with that, we've made it through the book of Titus here on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. If you missed any of the studies in the series, you can catch up by going online to thepackinghouse.org or listen to us on Apple Podcast. You can also call and request a CD copy of today's message or the entire series in Titus at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Grow in Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners, and we're thankful for each and every gift that comes our way. If you've been blessed by the teaching you've received through this radio program and would like to support what we're doing in this new year, please give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. And as a way of saying thank you, we'll send you Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. This book brings together what Lewis saw as the fundamental truths of Christianity. And in it, he sets out to defend the beliefs that believers through the ages hold in common. And I know you'll be encouraged by what he has to say. So again, you can ask for your copy of Mere Christianity when you give today. Give us a call, 844-77-GRACE. Next time, Pastor Ed Ray introduces a new study in Philemon. Come back for that as together we grow in grace. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sit be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your 